You are listening to Kubernetes Bytes, a podcast bringing you the latest from the world of cloud-native data management. My name is Ryan Walner, and I'm joined by Bobin Shaw, coming to you from Boston, Massachusetts. We'll be sharing our thoughts on recent cloud-native news and talking to industry experts about their experiences and challenges managing the wealth of data in today's cloud-native ecosystem. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you. With professional-grade industrial supplies, count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, wherever you are. We're coming to you from Boston, Massachusetts. Today is Friday, May 27th, 2022. I hope everyone is doing well and staying safe. Let's dive into it. Bhavan, how are you? How have you been? I'm doing good. Uh, I know the topic for today's discussion is KubeCon. Unfortunately, I wasn't at KubeCon, but uh, this week I was out at the AWS Summit in Washington, D.C. Um, I don't know. I uh, got, uh, got a chance to talk to a lot of customers there talking about Kubernetes adoption. Uh, didn't see as much as San Francisco, uh, but a lot of like government accounts and government organizations stopped by talking about just Kubernetes and how that, that would help. It was a lot of fun. And I found like a couple of good restaurants in DC. Uh, so I had a nice. good time as well. <laughs> yeah, DC is really cool when you're entrenched down in downtown. Uh, yeah. Everything's walkable, really nice. I, I haven't been in quite some time though, now that I think about it. <laughs> I know, like my previous DC trips were always doing the touristy things, like walking around National yeah. Mall. And this time it was a completely different experience. I wasn't looking forward to the trip, but now I'm glad I went. <laughs> <laughs> well, there you go. You know, everything's a surprise sometimes. <laughs> oh, nice. And I'm looking forward to the long weekend, right? Like we'll record this, we'll put it out and then everybody can enjoy it over the long weekend and we can just take a break. So, yeah. I know, I know. <laughs> the, the weather looks pretty good too. You know, it's always a hit or miss in May, but <laughs> yeah, looking forward to a couple of days as well. Nice. How about you? How have you been? I'm, I'm, well, A, I'm getting over COVID. That was fun. Um, you know, I actually, you know, I think a lot of people at this point maybe have had it already, but this was my first, you know, uh, time uh, having it, which, you know, thankful for vaccines because I feel like my symptoms were pretty minor, um, yep. you know, just pretty much cold symptoms, but it took, I think it's this day nine I was just telling you, and I'm just getting over. I'm still a little nasally. Um, it went through my whole family. My wife, on the other hand, is, you know, some kind of, uh, you know, magician because she lives with us. Yeah, it doesn't, it never got it and still it doesn't. <laughs> and it went to my daughter and then me. So it's been like two weeks and she did, I don't think she's going to get it at this point. Um, so, you know, that awesome. was, that's been sort of a bummer, but, uh, you know, that makes you get outside and do things alone. Uh, I went mountain biking. Like that's how, you know, vaccines are doing great, you know, <laughs> so <laughs> you can still uh, breathe. So thanks for that. Um, uh, as you know, I, I left peer storage, so I've been sort of slowing down, taking some mm -hmm. time to do uh, work on my side business and um, maybe take up some contracting work. But right now, just enjoying a little bit of a break as we go into uh, the summer, which, you know, can't wait for that. Oh, yeah. So today's topic is KubeCon recap. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and we're going to talk all things news on KubeCon, what came out of KubeCon. Um, I know many of you who were there had a blast. Uh, Valencia is awesome. I was in DockerCon uh, Barcelona, which is pretty close there. Um, and I hope maybe some of you took the time to go right over to there to take a look at the F1 uh uh, track that was all <laughs> set up for that week. I, I thought that was actually perfect where it's like it ends and you can extend your your stay and go watch yeah. some racing. But uh, I did uh, see a couple of uh, Portworx employees yeah. show up at the track. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it's you're right there. You, know, like, you mm-hmm. got to do it. So um, so we're going to be talking all things uh, news. Uh, mm-hmm. So why don't we dive into it? Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks. Oh, yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Yeah, it, 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 it has been a busy week, right? Busy couple of weeks. The show, uh, now that like COVID is for most parts done, uh, the show was back in person. I think at North America, we had like 3,000 folks last year, but then uh, KubeCon EMEA set that standard, right? Like I think they maxed out yeah. at like 7,500 people. Wow, yeah. So a lot of customers, a lot of partners, a lot of vendors out there. Uh, and this is just like all of this excitement just from social media. Like I wasn't there in person, but just looking at, posts from all the different companies and all the different individuals that were there uh, sounded really fun uh, masks were still on so uh, we'll see how how people fared in terms of covid how many people uh, got po- uh, uh, <laughs> tested positive um, once the show was done but uh, talking about the show right the first thing that i wanted to highlight was uh, a new state of cloud native development report came out um, in may 2022 nice. and i just wanted to highlight like a couple of things uh, that caught my eye uh, one of the stats, I think uh, Priyanka, the executive director of CNCF also highlighted in her keynote was uh, the global number of cloud native developers has grown from a million uh, people to like 7.1 million developers. Like That's it? 7.1 million developers <laughs> are working with cloud native ecosystem. Like that's just crazy. Like 4.8 million of those are using like container orchestration. 4.2 million are using serverless platforms, but still using microservices or containers to like develop new applications and 7 million. Wow. I like, again, that just blew my mind. Like I I had to talk about it. How does that compare to like other open source ecosystems? Like, uh, you know, OpenStack was huge. I wonder Mm -hmm. how it compares to that as well. Yeah. Uh, It'd be a good stat to look up. Uh, If we find it, we'll put it in the show notes. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) I know. Yeah. I didn't think about that. Uh, Another thing that caught my eye was uh, they had a, a distribution of the different container orchestration systems that people were using. And for some reason, even though it was a CNCF report, like Amazon ECS leads that uh, chart. Like that was the most used container orchestration hmm. platform, which was again, surprising and something that I wanted to point out. The <laughs> uh, DIY or self-hosted clusters were grew from like last year, like now 30% of the respondents were using like self-managed or, or DIY Kubernetes clusters instead of using a cloud service. And then uh, like, the other vendors, your Amazon EKS, your Azure EKS, Google GKE, all of those guys are still there, still huge in market share. But these were the like the two highlights from that graph. 
Um, and then like if we split that up into uh, further more detail, like 52% of the cloud native developers are running code in, in public cloud, 43% are running on-prem. And at the very end of that chart, you will see that 6% are also running cloud native apps, cloud native apps on mainframes. So that, that yeah, containers the- on ZOS, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I remember when that first came out um, uh, and was a thing and we saw mainframe at like Docker cons. I was like, hey, this just shows how portable and this technology is. So, you know, power to you, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I know. And like, I think uh, another thing from the report was the larger the size of the enterprise, the more chance or probability there is that the company and the developer is using cloud native uh, systems and, and Kubernetes. So uh, again, that's that just validates the point that bigger and bigger enterprises are already adopting Kubernetes and like running it in production versus the smaller enterprises. Yeah, I I kind of expect it to be uh, the on-prem numbers to be a little larger than the public mm-hmm. cloud ones. Um, yeah. You know, they're pretty close in this report, but, you know, I definitely think we've seen a lot more adoption at least from the storage space of of uh, Kubernetes on-prem. So I, I, that surprised me a little bit. Yeah. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. And then, uh, we, we, like our listeners know, we like to talk about funding rounds. Uh, we have a couple for you. Uh, Acuity. I think I'm, I hope I'm not butchering that name, raised like 20 million Series A round to basically provide Argo's or uh, Argo to enterprises, like provide enterprise capabilities around Argo and provide enterprise support. So making sure that customers can uh, use Argo to build and run cloud native applications and workflows on Kubernetes and, and adopt, adopt that GitOps uh, uh, methodology. So uh, that's one funding round. The second was Teleport. Uh, Teleport is around like is working on replacing or enhancing or modernizing security. So they want people to move away from secrets and move towards identity. And that's what what this change looks like. They raised $110 million uh, CDC round and they got valued at over a billion dollars. So they are our latest unicorn in the cloud native ecosystem. <laughs> the latest billion dollar unicorn. <laughs> yep. Uh, but they have an interesting approach, right? They instead of issuing secrets to everyone, they they want to make sure everything a machine, a human, an application has an identity, and then mm-hmm. all you have to do is secure the certificate authority. So it helps you like narrow down your blast radius or narrow down the exposure surface, and then you can be more secure and still have these things uh, talk to applications that you need to. Yeah, well, ultimately you're having thing, you know, less touch points, right? So yep. uh, there's a lot of less uh, vectors to, to come into play to attack there. I think it's a great idea. Uh, honestly, when humans touch things, we jack things up. So <laughs> <laughs> um, I think if we can, you know, really apply it to just inherently how something works, I like that idea. Nice. And like Teleport is one of the many vendors that had security-based announcements. So let's just go through um, go through the, all the security features. And I think that was one of the key takeaways from KubeCon. Like now people security. know how to run Kubernetes, mm-hmm. but now everybody, all the new vendors are focused on making it secure. And you'll see that trend in the uh, discussions or the announcements that we'll cover in this podcast as well. Like to start with, right? Snapped. Uh, it's a startup launched a service or launched a product called Nova. It's a centrally managed application security platform that's designed for cloud native and hybrid environments and includes things like 
real time threat intelligence because again you need to monitor your environment it includes api level protection it includes protection from bots so just uh, putting it out there for customers that are looking for those features uh, i haven't used it uh, but it, it just came up in the list of things that were announced at kubecon yeah and if you see here if you did attend kubecon they are giving you a free health check to test your infrastructure security skills oh, speed nice. so just tell them you're at kubecon you saw this article you heard it on this podcast <laughs> i need a free health check <laughs> perfect <laughs> Uh, and then uh, just I'm just going through my security list. Sysdig, another security vendor, launched Sysdig Advisor, and uh, with with the Sysdig Advisor now from that dashboard, you will get a list of a prioritized list of issues. So uh, if you are an admin, you mm -hmm. just need to log in and see what's completely wrong with your environment and then move down the list in, uh, from higher priority, <laughs> lower priority and address the most critical problems first. And these can include things like capacity or utilization or alert for clusters, namespaces, workloads, pods that you might have. Uh, another feature that they highlighted and they had a screenshot, I think, was re which was really cool. Uh, they have like a new way to help troubleshoot things where they in their dashboard, you'll see like helpful blogs, so resources that can help mm -hmm. you troubleshoot dashboards and also logs from the resources that you're trying to troubleshoot so everything in one place in a simple ui to help you like find root or do root cause analysis quicker and find that uh, issue and tr yeah. uh, troubleshoot it i've always been impressed by sysdig and their product i think it's always worked really well um i used it uh, at previous jobs as mm -hmm. uh, as well i know we've integrated it with uh you know portworks mm -hmm. as well and it's always been impressive to me how much is actually captured by the product right and i think part of the problem is okay you know, and maybe we have this problem as a whole is we have so much data right so so mm -hmm. much that we're pulling out of these systems is how do you present it in a in a useful way right so like that was a big problem for us is like how to dashboard the stuff correctly and this was i think for five four years ago or something when i was using it so um it's really cool to see you know Things like Sysdig Advisor, which uh, gives you that prioritized list. You know, ho hopefully your list is pretty small, <laughs> but if not, you know, I, I see the value in that for sure. Yeah, you have your action items, right? Like every month, like morning, you know what you're working on for <laughs> sure. Uh, another uh, uh, security feature like Red Hat uh, open sourced StackRox. So again, they acquired StackRox, I think, year, uh, a year back or year and a half back. Um, and they basically now, they, they rebranded it to... I think they called it advanced cluster security or something yep. like that. But now they have rebranded it back to StackRox and open source the project. It's available on GitHub. So uh, developers can start using it to scan their container images and include uh, that in their CI/CD pipelines. Yeah, open, open sourcing, open sourcing yep. under StackRox. Yeah, okay. Yeah. yeah. So uh, like just an interesting observation, right? I, I, they didn't disclose how much they bought, uh, how much they paid for acquiring StackRox, but StackRox had acquired like $65 million, or not acquired, but raised $65 million across all of their funding rounds. And now it's an open source project. So that's, that's something to think about. But yeah, it's available for you to use uh, as part of your development workflows. Yeah, I, well, I mean, we've seen it before. Uh, just because you have a ton of funding does not necessarily mean success right um yep. you know docker is a, is a really good example <laughs> they've made a great change um i think where they're focused now and their new evaluation and everything but remember the hype around that and it's mm -hmm. you know it was really a tool right and and it wound up continuing to be that but um you know things that you know that's i think that's the risk <laughs> as you as an I'm... investor right you put so much money into it but it's also great to see um that we're not just you know leaving these things on the shelf is that we're taking projects like this and open sourcing them for kubernetes it really shows you know the importance of what people 
kind of see and value Kubernetes as. Yep. Uh, and like since you brought up Docker, right? I was listening to uh, another podcast, and I think the Docker CEO was on, and I didn't re- like I didn't remember it at that point, but like Kubernetes was actually announced at one of the previous DockerCon events. So uh, I don't know, just closing a loop on something. It feels yeah, like. <laughs> <laughs> and it seems ACS is um, or the new acronym, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, that Red Hat has. Um, it seems like they're just doing this to really focus only on on their OpenShift. Yep container platform which makes sense right so next uh again going down the security list like suze uh they had acquired a, a company called new vector and now they are releasing uh they are open uh, container security platform as an open source project as well so uh, new vector mm-hmm. will provide you a container firewall that helps you protect your layer three through layer seven uh networks and it displays real-time information how your pods are talking to each other so you can implement like monitor and then implement security rules and it can help you uh, uh like debug applications and discover if there is there has been a breach uh on your Kubernetes cluster. So another open uh, open source project for you to check out. Yeah, and that one, I really like the visualizations it brings mm-hmm. to uh, managing security, right? Um, for those listening, we'll put the link in here, but if you click on it, they have they give a sort of visual um, screenshot of New Vector. And I, and I think it, it goes a long way to show how things are connected because we all know working in microservices and containers, there's, uh, you know, processes and, and, and containers and all sorts of things running everywhere. So um, having that uh, ability to visualize your nodes and, and your pods and all this stuff and and maybe where these uh, security uh, flows are being restricted, you know, uh, I think Weaveworks had a really good one um, network-wise in the past as well. But I, I really like to see these more and more visualizations of these products. Mm-hmm. I know, like uh, when even when we were dealing with virtual machine-based applications, these views were important. And coming from a VMware background, I really liked VMware Network or VRealize Network Insight that mm-hmm. used to be a product. Um, so getting that same functionality for containers and and modern apps is perfect. Um, next vendor in the security ecosystem is another startup called Lacework. Uh, no funding round for them. Um, and like I I saw an article yesterday that they. Uh, because of the recent financial events, they laid off 20% of their workforce. So that sucks mm. uh, for everybody that's affected. I'm sorry. But uh, during uh, like a week back at KubeCon, they announced updates to their Polygraph data platform and added support for audit log monitoring. So basically making sure all what, what your event, like uh, you can go back and trace what events happen, uh, audit events, what happens. Uh, integ- they announced integrations with admission controller uh, in, in Kube, uh, Kubernetes. So uh, mm. Uh, you can block certain apps from being deployed nice. and then the ability to remediate like infrastructure as code uh, whenever it's used to provision a cluster and provision application. So um, a few updates, but again, uh, uh, just a, a situation where we are in it just sucks for people who who will have to find new jobs now. Yeah, listen, I mean, if you have Kubernetes skills, especially in the security space, um, you're oh, gonna, listing you're a bunch find, of vendors, right? Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> you reach out to any one of these. Also, reach out to us. We're happy to make yeah. a connection here or there uh, to help you out if you are part of that. So yep. um, uh, lots of great skills I'm sure you have. And then next, uh, Cilium. Uh, they open sourced uh, a project called Tetragon, uh, which is an eBPF-based security observability 
and runtime enforcement platform. So it, it used to be a part of their, uh, the isovalent Cilium enterprise for years. And now they just took out that code base, open sourced it. So everybody gets that deep visibility that's required mm-hmm. in like running applications on Kubernetes uh, without a lot of overhead. So like if you want to learn more about eBPF, uh, I'm pretty sure Ryan and I know of a resource. <laughs> uh, you should go and check check our eBPF 101 episode uh, to learn how, how eBPF works. But Tetragon basically works with eBPF uh, and that kernel level collector and uh, collects information and then helps you uh, specify enforcement rules as well to make sure that you're running a secure environment or running your applications in a secure way. Absolutely. And then to, I think to close up my security list, the last one is Aqua Security. Uh, we started with uh, A, maybe we're ending with A, I don't know. Should have been the other way around. <laughs> but, uh, Aqua basically uh, said that their open source project, Trivi, I'm pretty sure many of you are already using it. Uh, Trivi has added a whole lot of new functionality and it can basically help you scan everything. And this includes th- uh, integrations built into your IDEs. So like JetBrains, VS Code, and like helping developers move security further to the left. Like we all the security vendors keep talking about like move, shift left. So right in the IDE, you'll have integrations that will help you scan your container images or just your, your code. Uh, it will help you compile Software bill of materials or S bombs. I know that that's a huge thing now. For the past five six months, uh, it was included in the keynotes at KubeCon North America as well. Why S bomb is so important to have, uh, especially when you're dealing with open source projects. It can help you uh, scan your Kubernetes cluster and get a re- list of like all the risks and uh, uh, things that you need to fix. Uh, if you have regulatory compliance that you need to follow, they'll give you a list of audit logs or things uh, there as well. It can integrate into CI/CD pipelines, uh, and then they also have a Docker desktop integration. So if you're running local development environments, you can still use Trivi. Um, but just like they, they did some rebranding, so. Trivi definitely is an open source project, but there's a new thing called Trivi Premium, which mm-hmm. is their enterprise version. So just make sure you're using something to secure your applications farthest left you can, uh, and then, then then push them to production. <coughs> Excuse me. I really like this quote by uh, Amir Jerby, um, where he says that, you know, security professionals are overwhelmed with the number of tools they're required to use and consolidating tools where possible. <coughs> <laughs> Sorry. Uh, helps teams become more efficient. I think this uh, outlines something really important, right? As we're innovating and seeing more and more tools and projects come into this space, uh, this is going to be a natural sort of uh, feeling. I think with operators, we're seeing the same thing. Security, we're seeing the same thing. So consolidating everything sort of centrally is really good. And I agree, it's a great move forward. <laughs> <laughs> Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Uh, awesome. So, like, moving on, I think we're done with security vendors. Now, everything else is in, like, that the second bucket, which covers storage, monitoring, and whatever else was announced or whatever else we could find. <laughs> uh, yeah. There was a so lot of security though. You're right. I, I mean, mm-hmm. would you say that the takeaway is security uh, is the sort of overall theme that we've seen here? Yes, for sure. Like I was looking at uh, blogs that 
different individuals did uh, not vendor specific but just overall summary blogs uh, videos from the cube uh, and and the new stack and security was definitely a theme for this kubecon like everybody was talking about how we can help you make things more secure and make sure that you don't get uh, hacked or uh, get attacked by ransomware so which is which leads me to the next section if <laughs> if sure, i can yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, castin uh, part of veeam uh, announced a new version for their k10 product now k10 is up to version 5 so k10 v5 uh, and they they had uh, ransomware capabilities uh, where they supported object lock functionality now they added um, uh, a, a way to use their dashboard to see if you are actually being attacked uh, by a ransomware attack in real time. So uh, since Castin knows how to write backups to an S3 bucket and how to read from those uh, S3 buckets to restore applications, they know what those IO patterns look like. And if something that doesn't fit that IO profile happens to your backup targets, they can alert you and maybe uh, alert you in real time that you are getting hit by a ransomware attack so you can fix things or, or uh, manage things right now rather than having to restore from those object lock enable backups. So, uh, that that's an interesting use case. Uh, I didn't think like storage vendors or backup vendors could go to that next step about uh, after supporting object lock, but this is a new functionality. Yeah, it begs the question of of where sort of the responsibilities of like a storage vendor or a backup vendor stop and a security vendor you know start. Mm -hmm. um, I, I think I think this is sort of natural, right? If you like you said, Kasten has all the awareness of what it's doing. With those so it, it's kind of a, a first-hand source of, of being able to do that without adding a whole nother tool right yep. i think this is actually a really good leap forward although it begs the question of like you know do uh security uh companies vendors like aqua and things like that you know have um the ability to do these things too sort of a, a more generalized uh you know uh scale and not you know just within casting too right there's a lot of storage and backup vendors we've talked about in the show so Huh. Oh, that's Thanks a great question. point, Ryan. Yeah. yeah, agreed, right? Like, I'm pretty sure all these security vendors do have alerts and, and things when you are being attacked. So, yeah, uh, I don't know. It, it sounded interesting to me, but then thinking about, like, when you brought in that perspective, it's like, okay, yeah, that makes sense. Like, security vendors do already have these features, so you have to find that right balance. Okay, next, let's move on to monitoring. Uh, Datadog, everybody's favorite uh, vendor in the AWS ecosystem uh, uh, announced support or enhanced their monitoring capabilities for Kubernetes as well. So they now ha can help you with monitoring your pods, your um, containers that you're running by just installing a simple data Datadog agent on your Kubernetes cluster and get uh, more visibility into health and performance of your clusters. They also have CSPM or cloud security posture management dashboards and cloud workload security dashboards. So even the monitoring uh, uh, monitoring companies helping customers with security, uh, they can now help you monitor your Kubernetes clusters and through that security dashboard, point out critical misconfigurations. If you are uh, if you want CIS benchmarks, they can tell you what's missing and then it can help you detect attacks against your Kubernetes infrastructure in real time. So again, even, even from monitoring, I think it's uh, security is a trend. Oh, absolutely. I mean, seeing trends in the data you're collecting monitoring wise is is a huge part of the value. So I think that's a natural intersect um, for monitoring companies. And it's it's a must right with Kubernetes infrastructure, as we know. Yep. And uh, I was listening to a, a, the new stack pod. Uh, they did a video and an interesting fact, like Datadog reported that most of their customers are, that are running Kubernetes are running 
like at least or an, on an average 18 month old releases so even though kubernetes comes out with a new release every four months mm-hmm. customers are not running and uh, upgrading their kubernetes cluster so uh yeah something to something to think about absolutely and it, i think it depends right on um sort of you know what industry you are in running the kubernetes infrastructure right there's a there's maybe a need to upgrade more often in certain industries or maybe you're running on a managed service that does it for you for the most part um mm-hmm. i think monitoring is is definitely a way to take advantage but it doesn't sort of eliminate obviously the the need to upgrade um although i think this is something we've seen over and over again is um Kubernetes or even containers or OpenStack delivered new releases so quickly. And that's so hard to do at a, yeah. at a sort of organizational level, right? So um, picking your strategy um, early on in your architecture of, you know, are we going to up- upgrade only on the major releases, right? Uh, versus the minors or just do that and patch the vulnerabilities in between that, right? So I think, you know, I, I think it makes a lot of sense, but um, definitely a challenging problem. Yes. Next, uh, we have Portworks, and uh, we had a couple of uh, announcements as well. Uh, we had two of our products that were in early access and beta modes uh, called Portworks Data Services and Portworks PX Backup as a Service. Both of them were made generally available for customers to start consuming. So PX Backup as a Service allows you to use a SaaS service from Portworks. You can just connect your clusters uh, and uh, PX Backup will uh, automatically uh, inventory all your different namespaces, all your different application components that you're running and help you create backup jobs and also uh, support like ransomware protection. So you can uh, add S3 object lock enabled buckets as your backup locations. Uh, So you have a a read, uh, sorry, a write once read many backup uh, snapshot for your applications that are running on Kubernetes cluster. And you don't have to worry about installing or maintaining your PX backup instance. It's available to you as a service. And then Portworx data services, uh, again, it it will, it helps you connect your Kubernetes clusters as well. Uh, Again, it's a SaaS service, bring in your clusters, bring your own Kubernetes clusters and then deploy different databases or data services like Cassandra and Postgres and Redis and all of those on your Kubernetes cluster. So instead of having to figure out different operators uh, and uh, figure out how to install these different operators, how to protect those different database instances, how to scale it up, how to version ma- manage the different versions, uh, PDS or Portworx data services can give you that single point or single pane of glass to deploy and manage your databases that your developers can use for their applications. Yeah, I think the PDS stuff's uh, game changer. Still, obviously, a bias <laughs> there, but I think you know, just researching new technologies, especially in the Kubernetes space. You know, if you're someone really looking to run a number of data services, and you're um, someone who likes to use managed services, you know, spinning up a cluster, say on EKS, and then pointing at a solution that just looks at that thing, and you can click a button and have a database, I think is super valuable. A because you know you can still own that infrastructure; you don't necessarily have to like shell out, um, you know, uh, all your data to somewhere else, and you don't know where it's living. You can you know own your Kubernetes cluster. I think <clears throat> I think the term bring your own Kubernetes is um, still uh, sort of the main point I think about there. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, definitely a game changer. Oh, yeah. Uh, moving along the storage uh, space, uh, Data Core, which had acquired Maya Data, and I think we covered that acquisition on the pod as well. Uh, they ha- are now using Maya Data's Open EBS uh, storage uh, framework, and they launched 
something called as bolt that's available for customers to use and i think they they talk about nvme capabilities for that storage layer and talk about how moving away from csi and moving towards something that's more uh kubernetes native or container native uh, will help customers so we see that in- interesting transition if you do want to like find out about the difference between csi and container native uh, we we did a podcast episode on that as well. So go to our live and check that out. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, with the the cost of NVMe, you know, uh, coming down, I think seeing more and more products that really take advantage of using these types of architectures um, for those IOPS characteristics that you get out of NVMe, uh, I think mm-hmm. we're going to see it more and more, right? Um, especially as uh, Kubernetes continues to mature, um, you know, really getting those uh, the performance out of Kubernetes and, and your storage infrastructure is going to be a must. So. Uh, really cool stuff. Yep. Uh, next on the storage ecosystem, uh, NetApp announced early access program for your Astra data store, which is again a Kubernetes native storage layer that provides file or blo- uh, uh, read write many functionality for your containers and virtual machines. Uh, I think they announced it last year, launched a beta program in February, and now it's an early access. So I'm pretty sure they they have some customers testing this out uh, on prem, on bare metal, or on virtual machine. So if you are a NetApp customer, if you're interested in getting Container storage. Check that out. It's just only NetApp customers. Uh, they said you have to fill out a form, okay. and then they will prioritize it. So I'm, I, I think they'll prefer NetApp customers. But yeah, uh, try your luck, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay. Uh, next, uh, I think I'm done with storage vendors. Let me let me go back to a different uh, topic then, like uh, things that I don't know enough about. <laughs> I'll start with uh, Microsoft Azure Container Apps. So Microsoft also had its uh, build conference last week, uh, which is more of a developer-focused conference, and they announced Azure Container Apps. Honestly, I haven't had a chance to read about it or learn more about it. I would love for somebody from Microsoft to come on the show and talk about why these are cool. Uh, well, like it, it adds some kind of serverless capabilities, uh, but for your containers and and gives them a, a Kubernetes background. But that's the extent of it. Uh, extent yeah, of what I, I mean, know it, about it. It mostly looks like um, uh, a project that takes other projects like Envoy and AKS and um, some of the other ones like uh, Kata and and mm-hmm. kind of puts them into a, a sort of a the ability to build the microservice architecture, yeah. um, obviously focused on applications. So, um, and I think this, you know, as we also see the trend towards the focusing on the application and above now, um, this definitely is going to be, I think, something we see over and over again is companies, especially bigger companies like Microsoft, really getting into, um, you know, how to fast track the whole stack, right? Um, providing Kubernetes like AKS is is not enough now because you mm-hmm. need all these components like we've talked about monitoring, security, you know, networking, all these things, uh, putting them in into a, a full stack. So really interesting stuff. But I agree, you know, would be great to have someone come on here and talk about that. Yep. And then um, just moving on down the list of things that I I haven't played around with. Pulumi uh, and their infrastructure as code. They announced a new thing called Pulumi Cross Code which is that universal translation layer uh, 
So if you are already using things like Terraform or CloudFormation or Azure Resource Manager, uh, CrossCode will allow you to convert those configurations into Pulumi's configurations or the Pulumi's version. And also allow, like Pulumi will also use CrossCode to talk to your existing infrastructure that's managed by these infrastructure as code systems. So uh, I know Terraform is a really popular tool for customers who are using multiple different platforms or multiple multiple different clouds. Uh, Pulumi has been gaining a lot of traction in the infrastructure as code space and with cross code i think they'll see a lot of adoption uh, increase in adoption because they'll now be able to translate between different kinds of uh isc platforms yeah and and this is i think a super cool tool for devops teams and being able to really find the um uh the the, the skills and the people to build those devops teams i mean you know First of all, it's hard to find the right individuals who know enough about Kubernetes and and how to uh, really build a full stack. So, and then they come, they you know, as you hire them, everyone always comes in with different uh, language, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, whether it's Python or Java or JavaScript, and and this was a huge value uh, for developers with containers in general, right? Polyglot architecture, you can put your own language into that container, and it could talk to something else running a completely different one built by a completely different team. I think this sort of brings a similar uh, aspect to DevOps, right? Um, mm-hmm. You may come in there with a lot of Python experience or Java experience, and you can manage the same object for you know GCP or AWS. Um, whether or not you, you know, need to re- relearn a whole language or a whole new um, uh, SDK because you're part of a new team. I think that I, I see is the most valuable part of this, right, is that it allows you to kind of uh, hit the ground running faster um, mm-hmm. with Agreed. your team. Yeah, yeah. Uh... Um, I think I also saw a lot of noise around your booth at KubeCon. Uh, maybe I'm just following more people that love Pulumi, but uh, <laughs> I saw a lot of noise around it and people were really excited about this announcement as yeah, well. Yeah, very cool. Uh, next, I think NVIDIA, uh, I think people were surprised by this announcement, but NVIDIA open sourced its GPU drivers for Linux uh, to enable more and more developers to write applications that uh, uses NVIDIA's GPUs effectively. So instead of having to build translation layers, they're like, okay, here are our drivers and kernel modules. Just use them and write applications. I think I, in the in the blog post I saw Canonical and Susie can immediately start packaging up these open uh, like open source kernel modules with Ubuntu and Susie Linux distributions. Uh, so developers can start using these distributions to like write code for applications that need GPU access. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, I I think I remember uh, doing a project targeting GPUs um, in sort of the IoT space and having to specifically go out and fetch certain kernel um, uh, libraries. I mean, having things just built in uh, to be able to work. Uh, I see this super valuable for, mm-hmm. you know, the um, the paths and sort of infrastructure providers. And I think the last on my list is around optimizing your containers and Kubernetes clusters and eliminating sp- uh, waste in, in terms of the amount of money you spend on on running these services cube cost another startup i think we have covered a couple of their funding rounds uh, in earlier episodes but they they provide you a dashboard about uh, so they can monitor your running applications and then point out that certain 
containers might not have those resource limits and quota sets uh, set and they might be consuming more resources certain resources uh, certain applications might have those uh, limits set to a really high point and they might actually not need those many resources so cube cost will give you a view around uh, these recommendations and now uh, with the, the with the latest announcement they have uh, announced that okay from that dashboard itself, they have one-click operations to update your running pod. Uh, so update those specifications and bring down your resource consumption. So that's a really cool way to like make sure people are not spending too much money to run applications which don't need as much resources. When I started reading about it, I, I thought this might be around right-sizing the number of uh, like Kubernetes worker nodes or, or, or something like that. But it's actually at the pod level, at the, at the container level, they're looking at these uh, resource consumption. Yeah, it seems more about optimizing efficiencies of, of yep. existing infrastructure, right? So, um, I mean, anyone who's built an application and have messed around with uh, resource allocations, uh, first of all, getting that right in the right syntax in YAML is <laughs> a, uh, a pain. And then knowing that for every single container you put out there um, and and knowing that, hey, um, the reality is in your in your CI/CD pipelines, often you'll you know do testing that you know finds the the right balance of resource allocations. But um, you sort of find that number and you up it a little bit, right? <laughs> and then you push the thing onto production, um, yeah. and hopefully it doesn't go over. So having something you know again, I think there's a trend here, and um, uh, in many of the news articles that we've talked about today is real time feedback, right? Real time feedback of you know are my objects safe? ransomware, right? Real-time feedback, is it being attacked? Real-time feedback of, you know, is my application running efficiently? If it's mm -hmm. not, let's adjust it and I, I don't have to go touch YAML, right? So I think, again, this is, you know, maybe part of our, our recap notes here, but um, uh, real-time sort of feedback um, and maturity, right, of, of Kubernetes and these vendors, I think is a real trend and, and, and absolutely valuable. I know. And like personally, right, uh, when I was deploying virtual machines uh, uh, in, in my previous jobs, I never knew what the size should be. I always went with <laughs> like, oh, if this is a small application, maybe two vCPUs, four gigs of RAM. Oh, if this is an important application, let's go for uh, four vCPUs and eight gigs of RAM. But yeah. I'm pretty sure none of my applications actually use that much resources. So <laughs> having a tool that can help you monitor their individual containers definitely helps. Yeah, when this probably comes from a time in which, you know, um, you had to shut everything down to adjust those as well, right? Mm -hmm. It wasn't so easy to adjust them on the fly. You'd have to take down your application and, and all sorts of stuff. Maybe even provision a whole new uh, VM, right, to do those kind of things. Obviously, that's come a long way. Uh, even in VMware infrastructure, you can just kind of adjust it on the fly with containers yep. adjusted on the fly. We're spoiled now. Right? <laughs> so um, it makes, it makes a, a lot of sense to do things in real time. I think those were all the vendors that I had on our list. I think when we when you were looking at our nodes, weren't we at the twenty vendor mark? I don't know. <laughs> it was twenty. Yeah, it was uh, twenty or nineteen, something like that. And I'm sure we missed a lot, right? Oh yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah the yeah. reality <laughs> is, um, you'll find a lot of these KubeCon recaps um, across different podcasts, and and I think they all have a ton of value. Ours is definitely going to be tailored a little bit towards storage, um, mm -hmm. although as you saw, there's a ton going on in the security space, even security across uh, other sort of verticals like storage. So, yep. um, you know, lots lots of good stuff here. Um, and we'll put all these uh, links to these articles if you're interested in them uh, in our show notes. 
For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. So let's do a little bit of a takeaways. I mean, I yeah. think we talked about this a little bit, but, um, you know, as someone who commented a lot on what you were talking about and all the different articles, I think the major takeaways, right, are a uh, security is obviously a huge focus as it yes. should be. All right. And that's across the board. Um, you know, as we're seeing uh, the maturity of the Kubernetes community and products uh, out there, we've innovated fast. We've got Kubernetes in production. It's super viable in production we're using um you know storage with it all sorts of things and now we're like oh now we got to secure it i mean maybe there's better ways in the future we should think about security (laughs) from the get-go but uh, i think this is a natural fit Uh, second is um this idea of um, we're moving away from you know the folks running Kubernetes really just working with uh, the low level objects, right? Yeah. Um, we're, we're moving towards UIs. We're moving towards uh, visualizations. We're moving towards real time feedback and adjustments, right? On, on the intelligence sort of uh, layer where, you know, someone is part of a DevOps team running uh, a Kubernetes uh, uh, organization probably isn't, you know, going to have to, I mean, they will, they'll, used a ton of YAML and they'll use a ton of CLI. But the point is, you know, we're moving towards that maturity that we see even, you know, managing VMware infrastructure, right? Mm -hmm. It's all that's, you know, for better or for worse, a lot of it's UI driven now, but I think there's a lot of benefit of, uh, I think we're sort of creeping that way with a lot of these products. Yeah, it helps onboard more people, right? People who are, who might not be as comfortable with CLI and and writing their own YAML files. Even though most of us just copy paste YAML files from somebody else's <laughs> GitHub repositories, but no, I don't do that. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> uh, nice, uh, but yeah, uh, I think I agree with your point, right? Like more and more focuses on making sure this looks production ready. Uh, people can run their apps without any security concerns. They can run it in a better way. Uh, one and to add to your security point, I think one thing that I didn't see in this KubeCon was the discussion between oh, is Kubernetes ready for stateful apps? Right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like I didn't see any any yeah. any blogs or any vendors or any talks around oh, Kubernetes is just for stateless. No, no, no. You can run stateful apps as well. We have I think cleared that confusion. <laughs> Everybody agrees that you can run stateful applications on Kubernetes. You see vendors like EDB, like Datastax on the show floor talking about their operators, talking about their managed services yeah. uh, and how customers can run it on their own Kubernetes cluster, including things like Portworx data services. So like a lot of vendors out there talking about storage, how you can run it on Kubernetes. So we'll see a lot of apps being migrated away, uh, like migrated onto Kubernetes now. And I'm pretty sure with KubeCon North America. In addition to security, I have a feeling maybe maybe we can come back and see if this prediction turns out to be good. Uh, but I feel that more and more money will be spent by startups on optimizing the developer experience. Like we have seen a couple of smaller startups picked up mm-hmm. picking up seed funding uh, earlier this year. Uh, around how they can provide these developer sandboxes so they can, instead of spinning up their own Kubernetes cluster, they have a sandbox that where they can test their applications, deploy it, and then push it to production. So maybe that's a trend. We'll see how it works out um, in a few months' time when we are all at KubeCon North America. 
That's right. And I feel like there's sort of a, a minor trend that is going to blow up as well. Um, it, uh, we'll call it a prediction, right? If we want to do predictions <laughs> for KubeCons, um, is the coexistence of VMs and containers, right? Yeah. Uh, we see Astra Data Store specifically mentioned mm-hmm. in their press releases saying that, you know, yes, we're doing uh, uh, Astra Data Store for containers, but we're designing it from the get-go with VMs in mind, right? Yep. This is natural fit, especially for NetApp, right? With their, with their customer base. But we also see it with Red Hat. Red Hat's going sort of that route of everything's sort of integrated. You know, VMs are becoming a first-class citizen as they mm-hmm. always were in in most organizations now in OpenShift, which has yep. traditionally just been containers, right? Um, I think we're going to see a lot more focus on, okay, how do we, how do we adjust and sort of... Um, manage all of this stuff from the the single pane of glass that we have for containers now that we're seeing the maturity for Kubernetes. And I don't know, that's uh, probably less of a prediction than you think. We already see a trend there, but I think it's it's definitely going to see, a, we're going to see a lot more around that in the future. Yeah, so um, I think that brings us to the end of today's episode um as always listeners can um you know find other episodes on anchor or wherever you listen to uh, mm-hmm. podcasts i think we just added a couple of different um rss feeds to other podcasting uh platforms so again if you don't have um the one that you want let us know we'll try to put it on there um and also we encourage you to send us feedback or a message on anchor or wherever you can review podcasts um next Two weeks, we are talking about Redis on Kubernetes. So really excited about that one. Um, you know, Redis has been around and had been has been a widely used a data service for so long, and and obviously uh, early on, early days in Kubernetes yep. um, as well because it doesn't necessarily need you know a lot of underlying disks. So anyway, we're going to be talking about that. Really excited about that. Um, and with that, that brings us to the end of today's episode. I'm Ryan. I'm Bobin. And thanks for joining another episode of Kubernetes Bytes. Thank you for listening to the Kubernetes Bytes podcast.